right, hello and welcome to the very first episode of About the Job, a podcast to learn about career options through interviews with professionals in various careers. Uh, so this episode is a series and host introduction. My name is Whittington and I am the host of this podcast. And in this episode, I am being interviewed by my friend Ace, uh, who is a data scientist and Ace will actually be featured uh, later in episode four of the podcast where I will be interviewing Ace uh, to discuss what Ace does as a data scientist. All right, so uh, before I start the interview, uh, let me talk a little bit about why I started the podcast. Um, so obviously, as a straight adult male, I felt that it was inevitable that I started a podcast. It was going to happen eventually, so I might as well just start it now. Uh, but on a more serious note, I figured that rather than talk about uh, things that I have limited experience with, uh, like dating, I might as well do something that could be potentially useful. All right, so I frequently uh, meet people who are late bloomers and found careers that they were passionate about later in life. And uh, that was true for me as well. And uh, oftentimes it's jobs that people just didn't realize were available to them uh, when they were younger or they just simply weren't exposed to, so they didn't even think about it. And uh, my hope is that someone might listen to this podcast and find something compelling enough to do something that they may not have considered previously as a career option. Uh, so now that you know what the podcast is about and uh, why I started it, uh, let's learn a little bit about me and what I do for a living. Uh, so coming up is going to be an interview with me uh, by my friend Ace. Uh, and Ace is going to be interviewing me about what it is that I do as a computer graphics programmer. Uh, so you can learn a little bit more about that potential career path and how you might get into it and what it's like. All right, awesome. So uh, Whittington, can you describe what a computer graphics programmer does and use like layman terms for it? Yeah, so computer graphics programmers kind of have like uh, two paths that they can go. So if you're a computer graphics programmer uh, that focuses more on the performance side, then the majority of what you're going to be doing is uh, performance optimization and uh, developing tooling around optimizing the performance of computer graphics um, and rendering systems. Or if you go the, the rendering tech route, uh, you'll end up writing custom rendering tools for either a custom game engine or maybe a ray tracer or some other uh, third-party tooling. That's kind of interesting. Um, can you talk about like once what's some of the skills that might diverge between the two? So if you wanted to go one path or the other, what would you focus on in a undergraduate program? Um, yeah, so no matter what you do, uh, what you have available to you in an undergraduate program is extremely limited. Mm -hmm. uh, but you'll need to focus on like developing skills outside of what's available in your program if you want to work as a graphics programmer with just a bachelor's degree. So um, if you decide to go like the performance optimization route, uh, you're going to have to be a strong C++ developer, and you're going to have to have a really good knowledge of how uh, your code interacts with the hardware, uh, because that is going to be like the bulk of what you're doing. And you're going to have to be really good at performance and analytics tools. Um, another thing that you can focus on if you want to go uh, the more like rendering tech route, uh, you're going to have to basically get into like the computer graphics mindset and essentially uh, start following computer graphics research and stay up to date with what the current rendering tech is. 
Um, currently, we're having like a graphics revolution. We haven't had any major strides in computer graphics up until recently. Uh, it's kind of just been like uh, more optimized versions of like existing tooling. Uh, but recently, with new hardware coming out supporting native ray tracing um, in real time, a lot of computer graphics is starting to shift now uh, from rasterization technology into uh, ray tracing technology, uh, which is unfortunate because we just made some major strides in rasterization to the point where it's starting to like look very comparable to ray tracing. Uh, but uh, we're, we're now fully switching to ray tracing. So it's kind of a weird time for that to be happening. Uh, but I guess it's, it's all in the nature of progress, I guess. Uh, sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, so how long have you been a graphics program programmer? And you've described the two pathways as an undergraduate. So maybe talk a little bit as well about uh, your pathway through your education into this career. Yeah, so I I took the, the college degree route. Uh, there's really only like two routes you can go for graphics. Uh, you can go self-taught or you can go uh, the education route. Um, the self-taught route isn't as common anymore. Um, a lot of the self-taught graphics programmers that are currently in the industry uh, were introduced into the industry in the early days back when it wasn't really that available at the academic level unless you're doing a master's or PhD program. Uh, so, so like a lot of them ended up being like self-taught out of pure necessity. Uh, but now that it is available um, at the bachelor's level to take computer graphics courses and there are more resources uh, to kind of teach yourself while doing a bachelor's program. Uh, it's kind of more expected for people to be going the educational route. And a lot of the job postings you're going to see are going to require a master's degree at a minimum. So even if you just go in with uh, just a bachelor's degree, you're going to need a lot of luck to even get an interview. Okay. So my next question now is, so with this knowledge of that, hey, you know, you might need to have a master's degree and you have these different paths you may have to choose and a undergrad degree may not be enough to begin with. What made you want to specialize in computer graphics and why did you want to study this? Okay, so this is actually like really interesting. Um, so I've always wanted to work in movies and it never occurred to me that computer graphics was an option. Uh, but uh, essentially what happened was I used to be a web developer. I went the self-taught route and I was getting a lot of work as a web developer. I was doing fine, uh, but it was just like really boring. And I decided that I wanted to do something uh, more challenging that I didn't feel would be automated away pretty soon. So I went and I did research and I looked into basically like every possible field of computer science that I could go into. And out of all of them, uh, the ones that interested me the most were computer vision and computer graphics. And the overlap between the two of them was uh, was computer graphics. So I just, I went the computer graphics route uh, with the potential of maybe switching into computer uh, vision later in the future if I do a master's or PhD program. Uh, so that's, that's essentially how that happened. And, and I mean, maybe give us a little bit more information about what you looked into for computer vision and computer graphics. And once again, I mean, you mentioned that, oh, it seemed like computer graphics was like a more broader field than computer vision. But were there any other reasons why you chose graphics over uh, computer vision? 
Yeah, so computer vision is still like relatively new. So graphics in itself is is a relatively small field, and computer vision is an even smaller field. And uh, I just I felt that I'd have a better chance uh, getting into computer graphics first, and it required less up upfront commitment in terms of education. I did end up having to go back and get my bachelor's degree to get into uh, computer graphics, but I definitely would have had to get my master's degree to get into computer vision. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. As a data scientist in computer vision, um, having the advanced degrees, I know that's very valuable within the field, and many companies respect you uh, having that advanced knowledge. But let's change focus a little bit. Let's leave education and let's talk about the actual workday and the actual day to day life. So, what's your typical day like? Um, what responsibilities do you have at your company? Uh, give us an idea of the the day in the life as a computer graphics programmer yeah so um it depends on like what my workload is like so um i work at a small vr studio and i'm more on the performance optimization side of computer graphics i don't get to work on uh, rendering features that often so i typically get placed on a, a game project either as the project is spinning up or as the project is getting ready to ship so um, I'm usually on like one or two projects simultaneously. Uh, so what I'll do is in the morning, I'll spend about an hour or two uh, catching up on emails and figuring out like what bugs are on me. And then um, I'll have to essentially uh, meet up and message with some uh, some project managers to figure out like what meetings I need to set depending on like what tasks are on me. Uh, but typically, I spend like half my day uh, meeting up with either the art director, the tech director, or uh, the PM to kind of figure out like what's going on with some of the tasks that are on me. And then I spend the majority of the afternoon actually like doing work. So that's that's typically how my day is uh, set up. So what would you say um, the ratio would be for like? your meetings with like your art director uh, or other tech programmers versus doing your actual work versus, you know, the infamous hanging out time that we have in the tech industry. Yeah. A, a good amount of my time is actually spent hanging out uh, when I'm on like a single project, uh, which is why I'm usually uh, placed on two projects at once. Uh, so when I like first hop on a project, uh, most of my time is, is, is in meetings. I, I barely have any time to do any work, uh, which makes sense because oftentimes I don't even understand what it is I'm supposed to be working on until I've had several meetings. Uh, but usually like once I'm like getting onto a project, the majority of it is meetings. And then uh, once I like figure out what it is that needs to be done, uh, then I start to do more work and only have like one or two meetings a day. All right. So, you know, you have your fun time. And you mentioned that, you know, you have a, a good amount of meetings, but another question I have now is, so if you, you know, you have these meetings, you might have these lull times, these downtime periods, what are the things that keep you interested in this job? Um, honestly, the things that keep me interested uh, in this particular role is the fact that I'm only on the projects for a really small amount of time. So um, I, I get to work on a lot of projects and uh, they kind of let me choose the projects most of the time. 
Uh, so I, I kind of get to like choose which projects I'm on. And that's kind of interesting. If I see like an interesting project coming in, I'm like, oh, I want to be on this. And then they'll make sure I get some time on that project. And uh, yeah. Oh, no, you keep going. Finish. Yeah. Also, um, when I get a lot of downtime, I get to keep up with like what's going on in computer graphics. So I have time to like read papers and watch like SIGGRAPH talks and stuff like that. And so this is related once again to the fact that you're more on the optimization optimization side of the uh, graphics programming, correct? Yep. All right. Um, so let's zoom out a little bit. So is this your first role in computer graphics? Uh, yeah, it kind of is. All right. Well, talk to us a little bit about, I mean, even though it's your first role, how can other people get a job like this? Uh, what was the interview process like for you? What was the job search process like to get into computer graphics for, at least from what you know, with your knowledge? Yeah. So, um, getting into computer graphics, uh, the interview process for most people is going to be a little bit different than what it was for me. So my particular studio, um, the, the head of graphics at the time, uh, wasn't too keen on doing like tech interviews. Uh, so essentially what we did was a series of, uh, behavioral interviews. And then during the behavioral interviews, uh, there'd be like, uh, math quizzes and they'd ask me to solve like some math problems. And then, uh, during one of them, it was kind of just like a code review. I was sitting there at the panel of developers and I showed them some code that I wrote to build a game engine for the Xbox. And they kind of went through some of the modules and asked me like, uh, how I went about, uh, deciding like what what things to put where and how I uh, designed certain modules and why I did things a certain way. And uh, I think that was probably, that probably gave them more insight as to how I, I was functioning as a developer uh, than a technical interview would. Uh, but the typical experience for other companies uh, will be either an online uh, math test focused uh, pretty heavily on linear algebra and trigonometry and then uh, some sort of technical interview and a behavioral. And so from my knowledge in my roles as like doing computer vision research and computer vision, computer vision work, uh, I know that uh, this is one of the more mathematical uh, fields of computer science. And so my question to you is, it seems like you've almost, I don't want to use the word, you a, a better way to say this is like you found the way to get into this industry with your bachelor's degree, even though it's a more broader degree, it's not as specialized. And do you see any other alternative route, alternative routes to becoming a graphics programmer, for example? Um, so you mentioned your projects itself, but are there any other ways that your colleagues, for example, got into the field? Yeah. So most of the people that I know in computer graphics, um, they either have a PhD or a master's degree in computer graphics, or uh, they have a bachelor's degree from like a very prestigious university, and then they chose to specialize in graphics. And uh, there's like a few people who are like older in the industry who got in uh, just by teaching themselves back in the 90s when graphics was like still relatively new. Yeah, the same in machine learning as well. You have some people in the industry who are just kind of like the the early onboarders, um, and then you have typically more modern uh, machine learning engineers or data scientists are their uh, masters or 
more common. I mean, I think the figure is at least 90% have a master's degree or higher. Um, but here, let's ask another question. So what is the most difficult thing you encounter in your day-to-day work? Yeah, one of the things that uh, I think was most challenging initially and probably is one of the things that I'm more concerned about now still is the fact that because I work at this small studio, um, there's they place a lot of trust in me uh, because computer graphics programmers typically aren't like very junior. So even though uh, I was still like relatively new in my like programming career, uh, coming into like a computer graphics programming role, uh, you're treated pretty uh, pretty much like a senior graphic a senior programmer uh, in any other role. Uh, they just expect you to be able to like understand what it is you need to do and actually do it and give like accurate timings and stuff like that. And there were a couple of times like early in this role where I, I took on some work and uh, I definitely had no idea what the hell was going on. I uh, I did end up like uh, getting some help from the other graphics programmers and, and I ended up like succeeding in my tasks or whatever. But um, there's, there's a lot of trust that gets placed in you as a graphics programmer, especially on the performance side, uh, because when that game ships, if the reviews are bad because of performance, it, it's a reflection of you as the performance engineer and graphics programmer. Uh, you're you're one of the main people who keeps the game's performance uh, running at the target frame rate. So if like something like that happens, it's a, it's a poor reflection on you. And then uh, if it if it ends up looking the way it's supposed to look, and they are to achieve their artistic vision, and the game hits a target frame rate and doesn't have a lot of significant dips, then that is also a reflection of you. I can relate to a lot of this from just my own work experience. But one question, I mean, this is a very common theme, I think, in our industries uh, as computer scientists, as developers. The idea of do you want to be a big fish in a small pond or do you want to be a small fish in a big pond? And this is often used in terms of like, you mentioned working for a smaller game studio, um, but being a top performer or working or being a you know an average developer at like Google or Amazon, these bigger companies. What are your thoughts on working at your company, um, your smaller studio, your more indie studio, versus working at like some bigger developer within the games industry? And how do you think that has affected your career with this being one of your first jobs in computer graphics yeah so the the thing is like working at a small studio as a graphics programmer it definitely limits your career growth so um i don't plan on staying here too long and i wouldn't recommend that anyone stays at a small studio too long uh you kind of use small studios as like a career stepping stone um usually the turnover is like three to four years um at, at a small studio for a graphics programmer at least so you'll you'll go on to the the studio you'll ship a few games as the graphics programmer and uh, a lot of times you'll end up being like the only graphics programmer on a game uh, which looks really good when you're applying to a big studio that's how you get into those like more senior or like r&d type roles Uh, so um there's that and then whether you're a performance engineer or uh you're working on on rendering features um, as a graphics programmer, uh, you're definitely going to want to work at a large studio at some point or like a, a large VFX studio or a place that works on like a third-party render at some point in your career because 
uh, you're going to want to be able to develop some of these newer features as they're like coming out and work in a situation where you're implementing stuff from papers in production because that is an important part of being a graphics programmer and there's not a lot of that that happens at small studios uh, if there is you usually have to like fight for it i love these similarities between computer graphics and machine learning because they they're they sound like almost similar fields from the way you're describing it um even though people may separate them in their minds um there's a from what you're telling me there's a lot of overlap that exists there for me personally when i was working at a smaller uh company i realized that i needed to get more external resources in order to develop myself more um to be more prepared to work at a larger company for example so what are some resources that helped you uh after you've been employed so you're already a computer graphics programmer what helped you up-level your skills and get better and improve your day-to-day work? Yeah, so honestly, computer graphics Twitter is like probably the best resource I've, I've come across so far. Um, literally, like, I, I think it's better than being uh, subscribed to certain publications, to be honest, because uh, not only do you have direct access to like professors and researchers doing the 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 cutting edge research um and you're finding out about things before they're officially published like oftentimes twitter is just like the first place where something breaks and uh, not only that like uh if you're like deep into computer graphics twitter uh you can just reach out to them for like help and stuff like you can literally just go on there and be like hey i've been doing this and i'm kind of having trouble with this what does everyone think and then everyone will just like retweet it and then someone will see it and they'll be like hey I did something similar like two years ago. Here's the code. And then stuff like that will happen quite a bit. And uh, that has been like extremely valuable. And uh, also just like having like friends in the industry uh, helps quite a bit. And now that I have access to um, the the SIGGRAPH and GDC archives, uh, some watching, rewatching some older talks and looking at uh, looking at the postmortems for uh, for some like breakthrough games that had interesting graphics, uh, those have been extremely helpful as well. You've mentioned uh, some really great resources, but um, one thing that was missing from your uh, your uh, your ideas is that uh, a mentor. So for me in computer vision, I had a mentor named Khaled who showed me the ropes um, and taught me everything I need need to know about how to be a computer vision expert in the satellite industry. Did you have a mentor before? And uh, if not, what are some skills you might tell others to focus on if you were to be their mentor for them to get into the industry? Yeah, so I, I, this is a hard question for me to answer. So I'm not the type of person that typically has like a like, a traditional mentor that I like talk to on a regular basis. Uh, but essentially what I do is I have like certain people who are like semi mentors who are like people that they're, they're familiar with me and my work and they know, like we, we speak like somewhat regularly and then I reach out to them like when I have questions and stuff, but I don't necessarily like regularly interact with them. And, uh, so I, I do a lot of that. Um, and most of those people are like other computer graphics programmers on Twitter. Um, one of the things that was definitely like helpful to me when I got started was uh, 
uh, Stephanie Hurlbert, uh, she's the CEO of Binomial, uh, the texture compression company. She had a website where she had a list of people who were willing to mentor and they were all like in highly specialized fields. And I found like three or four people there that were specialized in computer graphics. And I reached out to them before I even like knew how to get, get into the field. And I asked them about like the different areas I can specialize in and stuff like that. And they kind of like mentored me into like setting up like the path to get into their career. And that was definitely like the most helpful thing for me. Uh, but definitely like if someone is new and looking to get into his career, uh, my biggest thing for you would be to go do, go buy some computer graphics programming books and then uh, go tweet about the stuff that you build on Twitter and use the hashtag GFX. And uh, all the graphics programmers will see it. Uh, if we see any issues with your renders, we'll call it out. We'll tell you how to fix it. Uh, we'll, a lot of times, if you like tag us, we'll follow you back. And it's a good way to like reach out to people and find mentors. It is a relatively small field, so it's not like you're likely to just randomly come across a graphics programmer. You have to seek them out. And I love the idea that you brought up of uh, reading books and tweeting out your ideas and sh showcasing what you're working on because a lot of those skills do transfer over in terms of uh, other subfields of computer science. And in my experience, many students in computer science don't ever take those efforts. They expect the degree to do all the work for them, um, which is a, a pretty commonly held belief that's like not true about CS, right? Uh, but with that, let, let's zoom into your specialty, right? What are some beliefs that people may have about computer graphics uh, that you think is, hey, this is not true, and maybe take some time to clarify why you don't think they're true? Uh, yeah, there's like one thing that's kind of annoying. Um, I notice a lot of people who like don't know a lot about like programming in general or just like how games work. Um, they they're under the impression that like the aesthetic of a game is considered like the graphics of the game and that's that's kind of it's kind of even hard to like have a conversation uh with those people and like explain to them the difference between like graphics and like aesthetic so you know for anyone listening who isn't aware uh the aesthetic is kind of like the feel of the game and that includes things like you know your your art style and uh, your color palettes and how you outline objects, strokes, you know, the way shading is done, things like that uh, that's involved in the aesthetic of a game. And oftentimes, uh, the aesthetic of the game is what people are talking about when they say they like the graphics of a game. Uh, but when you discuss, like, game graphics, uh, what you should be talking about is uh, the performance and the rendering features that are available in the engine, so stuff like post-processing, um, in-camera effects, uh, the VFX, stuff like that would be considered the graphics of the game. So that's, that's something I would like to clarify. And man, you did you have a list of things that you're, you know, that people might have misconceptions. And I will, I will admit that for me personally, when I considered computer graphics for a game, I was thinking of the aesthetics. So I'm really happy that you kind of brought out that definition and said, hey, this is what distinguishes the two between being um, a computer graphics uh, developer and maybe being focused more on the aesthetics of a game. So uh, let's, let's dial it back a little bit. Let's 
be a little bit more lax about things. So with your job being a computer graphics programmer, what are some things that you enjoy and what are some things that you maybe don't like as much? Uh, yeah, one of the things that I enjoy, um, as a graphics programmer at a small studio, um, one of the things that is kind of nice is that, uh, people just like, believe me when I say things, which is kind of nice. Um, it's, I think the reason it happens is because, um, usually I'm interacting with, um, gameplay engineers and, uh, art directors or PMs, and they don't typically know what I do enough to even like question what I do. But like, if they're like, Hey, can we do this thing? I'll be like, um, probably not. And these are the reasons why. And then they'll be like, okay, we won't do that. And then that's, that's wild to me because as a web developer, I, I felt like people would constantly like question me when I said things, they'd be like, Hey, can we do this? And I'll be like, maybe, but I wouldn't recommend it for like these reasons. And they'd be like, Oh, we can do it if we do this. And then they would like fight me a lot, but they kind of just like take my word for it and just trust that I know what I'm doing uh, here. So that's, that's been kind of nice. Um, some things that I don't like as much. Uh, one of the things that I definitely don't enjoy as much is oftentimes I will be placed on a project and uh, the project will be like running very poorly. And a lot of times it'll be for things that like I told them to do when we were setting up the project and they didn't do it. And then I come in and they kind of expect me to fix it which is, is fine, I guess, because I am allocated for the project towards the end for those kinds of things. But uh, sometimes they don't listen to the stuff I tell them to do at the beginning of the project, and then it costs extra time at the end of the project. So that's something that I don't like as much. It's so funny because like you, you've literally described consulting, which is what I work in right now as a data scientist. Um, and my least favorite thing is the same as yours, where projects are ran poorly, and people are like looking looking at me it's like hey ace can you fix these problems and i'm just like uh i can but i don't want to because it's not my job <laughs> um but one thing you brought up is how people don't challenge you on your ideas and this also happens to me um and it happened a lot more as i became a um a, cl a cloud oriented data scientist and i guess also as well as i started to get more deeper into my phd education in computer science. And so my question to you, you brought up some reasons why you thought why people would accept it. But one thing I've noticed is that the moment you show a math equation to people, they will defer everything to you. Do you use math equations when you're presenting your ideas to people? Um, and have you noticed that people kind of just bow down to you when you show the, I mean, even if it's as simple as like a linear algebra multiplication problem, for example. Uh, I don't typically have to do that. Um, so when I work with the, the other engineers, so the other engineers, they're gameplay programmers, but they still have to know linear algebra because we're working in VR. So like, it's not like I can like phase them with some basic linear algebra, but when it comes to the more advanced stuff, uh, they, they tend to not be as like, uh, math oriented. So like, they'll understand like basic transformations and like rotations and stuff like that. But um, they don't maybe necessarily like understand like the rendering equation or, you know, how to do like integration and stuff like that. But 
Uh, no, I typically don't have to do uh, all of that. I try to be more like uh, metrics driven uh, with my approach to, to things uh, since I'm more like performance focused. So a lot of a lot of times uh, someone will ask me like whether or not certain thing can happen and then I'll like explain to them. I'll be like, here's a graph showing like the amount of overhead we have throughout like this particular gameplay scenario on the CPU versus the GPU. And then I'll be like, if you add this feature, then you'll need this much overhead on the GPU and we just can't support it because we'll get significant frame drops here, here, and here. And then they'll be like, okay, that makes sense. So I've kind of made my own definition of overhead from what you described, but can you tell the viewers what overhead is? It may be interesting to them. Okay, yeah. So um, when I describe overhead, typically I'm talking about uh, the amount of CPU cycles that are available. And uh, typically, like, we'll, I'll describe it in, like, seconds because we're working in, in real time. So uh, when I describe overhead, I'm talking about, like, the amount of compute time it will take every frame for something to happen in terms of milliseconds. Uh, so I'll be like, all right, we need like 100 milliseconds to do this one thing, but uh, we might not necessarily like have the time for that to happen because 100 milliseconds is a lot when you're trying to hit 72 frames per second. Got it, got it. And there's so many, once again, so many analogies between computer graphics and computer vision. And one thing that keeps me interested in the field or makes me want to like learn more about the field is just kind of the mathematical ideas that exist in the field that correlate with computer vision. But with that, I know for myself personally, sometimes when you're working in a field that's so mathematically oriented, you can get blocked. And oftentimes to solve your blockers, can it's a lot more involved than other programming fields. So for you personally, what do you do uh, when you're blocked and how do you like unblock yourself? Yeah, this one's rough. Um, right now I'm currently like the only graphics programmer at my company. So when I do get blocked, I typically have to like either reach out to someone outside the company or sometimes it's like I get blocked on things that aren't necessarily like crazy because uh, I, I sometimes will have to like write like tools for the artists or uh, you know, tools for the other engineers. And a lot of times the stuff that's blocking me is something that like someone with more domain knowledge can help me with. So like sometimes I'll get stuck on an art thing and I'll just reach out to the art director and then he'll ask the other artist and they'll be like, yeah, you can just do it this way instead. And you don't have to worry about that problem. Or like sometimes I'll reach out to the engineers and they'll be like, oh yeah, we have a library that can handle this or, you know, um, yeah, we already solved this problem in another project. Here's how we did it and, and stuff like that. Uh, but I uh, usually when I get like blocked uh, with the graphic stuff, I'm I'm blocked for like a significant amount of time, like uh, a couple of days, maybe a week. Uh, but I usually get allocated more than enough time, and I I, I take into consideration the potential for like blockers uh, when when I put in my time for tickets. So um, it's usually something that's accounted for. Once in a while, I'll like need more time than I expect, uh, but they're usually pretty understanding about it because. Uh, it's it's usually more involved than something that's like straightforward, like a gameplay feature. So I know that I'm I'm in a more research oriented role, but do research papers ever help you get unblocked? Do you ever look towards the current research in the field to solve your problems or maybe get like a a, a spark of an idea for your problem? 
Um, sometimes, like uh, I did, I did use a couple of research papers uh, when I implemented some features for like volumetric rendering and stuff. And I used a paper on like IEEE once on like numerical analysis when I was trying to estimate some functions to make a shader run faster. Uh, but you know, for the most part, because I'm working in in VR and there isn't like a ton of research coming out in VR, a lot of times a blog post is more useful than a research paper uh, because I'm working on something that like another VR developer may have like found a solution for rather than something that someone is like researching in detail. Yeah, that makes sense. I think in machine learning, there's also some analog cases as well where um, a white paper or a blog post may provide some more information than um, kind of like a, a researcher's outlook on a situation. But I mean, speaking of outlook, and I know we're talking about a lot of mathematical concepts. We're talking a, a lot about uh, a field that's very conceptual in nature because just computer science in general is very conceptual. But let me just ask you, what is the career outlook for people in the audience who may think this is very interesting to work as a computer graphics programmer? Um, and especially with things like kind of like the, I don't know for you, but for machine learning, like the whole large language model scandal right now where they're sentient is really annoying to me, but I'm thinking of the metaverse, right? Ideas that we're going to be spending more and more time within these VR applications. Do you think it's going to become more in demand to have computer graphics artists and ones that are like really great, especially at the uh, the performance side of the situation where they're making sure that people who are using VR applications in computer graphics are not getting sick, for example, when they're wearing their VR goggles? Yeah, so there's definitely like a lot of potential uh, jobs coming for people who specialize in uh, mobile and VR uh, performance optimization on the computer graphics side uh, because of all of this like metaverse stuff and VR is kind of taking off right now. After the pandemic, we saw a significant increase in the number of uh, VR headsets that were actively being used every month. I think uh, I don't have the exact numbers, but our research team, uh, they gave a presentation at one point saying that like, uh, the growth was like 30 or 40% uh, since the pandemic, but that was like during peak pandemic. So I'm sure it's like probably like significantly larger now, um, especially since the Quest 2 sales have been like so, so large. There's a lot of people running VR now. And I personally don't think VR is going to be as popular in the future. I think it'll probably be taken over by AR um, applications, but I think a lot of the AR stuff is going to be running on mobile devices as well. So a lot of the same performance optimization is going to apply to that as well. So there's definitely an outlook for that. And on the the general like computer graphics for games side, um, I still think that's a growing field as well, um, especially now that uh, we're shifting into real-time ray tracing. Um, a lot of studios are kind of doubling up on their computer graphics teams because uh, they're having to support both rasterization and ray tracing now. Uh, so especially if you're like a student and you have the ability to like focus on some some ray tracing projects, some real-time ray tracing stuff, uh, there's a lot of like open roles coming up for people who are specialized in real-time ray tracing. So there's there's a future for that as well. So you brought up ray tracing as an example of just some of the, com the common trends going on, but like, 
Are there any other areas of computer graphics that like newer students, like someone who's starting their program in their undergrad right now, they should be looking out for into the future? Yeah, definitely the the ray tracing. Um, that's like the majority of the roles that are going to be open right now. A lot of the existing graphics programmers, um, they're like really good at rasterization, but probably not as good at ray tracing, especially doing the real time stuff. So um, you're not going to have like as good a chance if you're going up against like a an experienced graphics programmer. But if it's a toss up between like you, someone who like built a custom game engine that does real time ray tracing and rasterization, uh, versus someone who just built like a rasterizer. Uh, you're probably the one that's going to get the interview first and you're going to get preferential treatment during the interview process. So would you recommend for like, you know, newcomers to focus more so on ray tracing than rather than rasterization? I mean, obviously you need a balance of both, right? But if they had the option between like elective courses or between choosing projects, would you recommend they emphasize more on that ray tracing aspect of it? The real-time ray tracing. Yeah, so the the real-time ray tracing is not a complete replacement for uh, rasterization. It has to be done in combination with the rasterization. Uh, so you, even if you have like a super high-end uh, GPU, you probably won't have enough overhead available to do full ray tracing across the board for an entire game. Uh, so you'll have to kind of like choose like, whether you want like shadows or reflection or maybe your global illumination to be ray traced, uh, but not everything is going to be ray traced. So you're going to have to like do some rasterization and then combine that with the, the ray tracing as well. Okay, got it. And um, just out of curiosity, uh, was ray tracing, the real time ray tracing, was it big when you were in school? And if it wasn't, how much are you keeping up with it in terms of your knowledge of how to do it? Yeah, it was huge when I was in school because they, while I was in my computer graphics course, they announced the new RTX 30 series. Uh, and the 20 series had been available. Uh, but with the 30 series, we actually saw hardware that can do real-time ray tracing in games at, at a, a speed that's actually like usable not just something that's like experimental only for the high-end users, like with the 20 series. So um, that was like a huge thing. And it was already something that they were like noting in the class because they're like, now that the 20 series is out, real-time ray tracing is a thing. It's not like great, but with the hardware advancements, we're eventually going to have to deal with it. It's something that they were already like including in the lectures and stuff. That's actually really interesting, especially compared to um, myself having a more traditional computer science education. Um, the knowledge that I'm given is typically, it's not as current, but it's more timeless. Um, but with that said, for you personally, you I, I'm not going to list your school, even though I know it. Um, you went to a very, a program that was, it was geared towards getting you into industry. So you tend to have more cutting edge resources compared to like a standard CS degree. But with, are you happy with your choice to go through a program like that? Are there any other CS fields you may have rather went into? Uh, I mean, as a, as a veteran, I pretty much could have gotten into like any CS program I wanted to. Um, but the, the thing is like, I kind of, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm pretty happy that I went to that particular school. 
because one thing that that school has that I haven't seen at any other school so far is that for every every department that they have, they have someone whose job it is to travel around to conferences and talk to people, hiring people in those fields and understand what it is that they're looking for and what skills they need to be teaching. And their their job is to like keep up with the industry and make sure that the curriculum adapts in real time to keep up with industry demand. And that is, that is not something that I've ever seen in the school. So I'm, I'm definitely glad because of that one thing. And then also um, there's someone from this school at basically like every game studio in the world. So it's it, it wasn't a bad choice because I, I run into a lot of people from this school constantly. Do you want to list the school on on the I, I do Tacho? not know. They, they're not <laughs> yeah. paying me for this. Everyone who knows me knows the school. I feel like people will know what school I'm talking about, but uh, I'm not giving them free promo. They're not promoting this podcast. Amen to that. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I think that's really cool. And um, I think that's one thing that's a it's a very hot topic in CS as well right now. The idea of should schools stay current or should schools teach them that's more timeless? And personally, I'm more of the timeless side of things. But I do think it's really interesting that you were like you had a class that was offered like, yo, this is this came out two days ago and we're teaching you this. <laughs> uh, well, not two days ago, but you kind of get the point. Um, but so we talked about your school, we talked about your job. Um, let's talk a little bit more about who you are as a individual. So, um, I know that you're a very picky eater, but <laughs> what's your favorite thing to eat? Probably falafel right now. I'm not going to lie. I eat yeah. falafel <laughs> like I, like out of the hundred days of the year, I'd say I eat falafel probably like almost a hundred days out of the 365 days in a year. Can you make falafel? I can, but uh, I'm not good at it. I usually just buy it because I live across the street from a falafel place. Oh, yeah. Cause, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel those vibes, too. I'm the exact same way. There's so many things I love to eat. Um, um, personally, I love fried chicken. Um, but I will buy it from a place across the street in a heartbeat of making myself just because, of, you know, when we're at positions that we're at right now, um, it's oftentimes more cost effective to just go and buy it from somebody than make it yourself. <laughs> um, so let's talk about a little bit about your like. What's your favorite subject? Like um, high school, for example, and maybe even your favorite college subject too. Let's have both of them. Yeah. So in college, my favorite class was like computer animation, um, but for obvious reasons, I as, as a graphics programmer. Uh, when I do like feature development, one of my specialties is animation. Out of all the computer graphics related things, I'm more I have more domain knowledge about animation than anything else. Uh, but in high school, my favorite class was actually like a class that I didn't take on my own. I was kind of forced to take it. Uh, it's called Math Team. So uh, they took all of the kids that had uh, perfect scores in every math class, and they forced us all into this one class. And it was essentially like a mathletes club, but um, as a class. And they would essentially just like train us in like combinatorics and discrete math and then have us go to like uh, math competitions. They were prepping us for the math Olympics. So like competitive, competitive math, competitive, competitive programming situation, right? Yeah. That's pretty cool. I'd you know, we talked a lot about just these math courses and these computer animation pro 
courses and computer graphics. Was this your dream, your dream job as a kid? Like, is this what you always wanted to do? Uh, to be honest, I, I didn't really like have a dream job as a kid. It's, it's kind of depressing, but like, you know, I grew up in like a really like poor neighborhood. I was kind of just expecting that I was going to like just end up working in like a market or at a store or something. I didn't really, yeah, I didn't really have like big dreams or anything. And then one day I, uh, I moved to the U S and then I was like, Oh, I can go to school. Now I have options. I mean, I know this about you, but, um, you know, there was, there was another, um, major that you were, I think you, you were taking courses in. Um, you want to talk about that a little bit? <laughs> was that a oh, dream or like, oh, what was that art, about? Oh, the art stuff. Or yeah. Art and also civil engineering. Oh yeah. So, um, when I got out of high school, I was going to study civil engineering um, only because like I, I didn't really know what I wanted to study like straight out of high school. All I knew was that I was good at math and I was good at science. I, I was winning a bunch of awards in math and science ever since I moved to the U.S. because apparently that's a thing that they do. Uh, but I, I didn't really know like what I wanted to do. Um, I was in a robotics club, so I got exposed to engineering. So I was like, all right, cool. I guess I'll just apply for engineering. And I just applied to a bunch of engineering programs and I got into one for civil engineering and I was like, all right, cool. I guess I'll be a civil engineer. Uh, but then I ended up uh, joining the military so I could uh, go to like whatever school I wanted and actually afford to pay for it. And then when I got out, I had already like, I was working with uh, satellite networking in the army. So I had a lot of exposure to like uh, scripting and stuff. And I was kind of familiar with programming. So then I just decided to go like software engineering and that's how I ended up like doing all this uh i mean robotics and civil engineering are you know completely different I know. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm a i studied mechanical engineering in my undergrad so i so mechanical is more along robotics so i'm kind of like whoa that's kind of wild but i mean from your story it does make sense kind of like you you weren't really sure what you wanted to do you just knew that you were good at math and you were good at science and you just went into something yes and, I relate to that heavily, heavily. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like I said, you know, like I, I didn't really expect to have these options growing up. So when I was given this opportunity to like actually have options, I had no idea what to do with it. Yeah, and I think for me personally, like I didn't start start computer science until I was like twenty two almost. And once again, as you mentioned, like you just didn't know these options existed. And so how are you expected to kind of be able to jump in, right into it? But with that said, um, another question is, hey, what are some of your interests? And now I know that you're super sweaty like I am. So you might be tempted to say computer science or com computer graphics, but you can say that, right? But if you do say it, give me one interest that is not computing related as well. <clears throat> All right, so I do have interests outside of like my job that relate to computer graphics. Um, you know this because I show you all my art and you hate it, but I do like some VFX art and some 3D art. Most of it is just like, uh, I get like a random idea and I'm like, that would be an interesting render. And then I go and I make it and I post it on Instagram. Um, I do occasionally uh, do VFX for like short films, movies, TV shows, uh, stuff like that. Uh, as I mentioned, I took some classes in art. I actually went to art school. 
um, after I got my first job as a graphics programmer. So you would say it's art then, right? Probably, yeah. But it's more like even with the art, pretty much everything I do as an interest has something to do with like math or science or programming in some way, shape or form. When I do the VFX stuff, the VFX tools that I use um, have like scripting support or they're like fully procedural and very math heavy or it involves like knowledge of, of how like uh, video is like stored and put together and digital imagery and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like that's true from what you're, you're telling me, but here here's one recommendation I have. If you like art, I mean like graphical art, right? Try to get into a little bit of traditional art too, right? Photography, right? If you don't want to do drawing and painting, if that's too much, photography and i guarantee you it will help out your graphical art as well um with that said so you you do a lot with your computer graphics and your vfx um what are you very proud of and is it graphics related or is it not graphics related uh i mean there's a couple of things that i'm like really proud of uh the thing that i'm probably like most proud of so far is the fact that I successfully changed careers uh, with like basically like no hitches. That's that's probably like the thing that I'm most proud of because it, it feels like I'm a very responsible adult because I was able to do this. Like I, I didn't really know what I was going to do after I left the army um, up until like, like even after I was like le- I leaving, like literally the day I left, I had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew that I was going to go to school and do something. I uh, I decided to go work in marketing for a little bit. And then I was able to get a marketing job within like a week of, of leaving the army. I'm very proud of that. And then after I decided like I wanted to go into like software engineering after the marketing stuff, I I basically like did that with no problems as well. And then when I decided to become a graphics programmer, literally like, I just like I started school two weeks later, I moved to Florida, then I got a job like a year before I even graduated. So like all of that happening so smoothly, uh, let me know that I was like somewhat responsible, at least with my decision making. So question, are you more proud that you like actually made the switches? Or are you more proud of the fact that it was moving you towards something that you love doing? I was just, I'm, I'm more proud of the fact that I was able to like career switch so efficiently uh, with like no hitches so many times. Uh, that's, that's probably the big accomplishment there. All right. Got it. Got it. I mean, and, I mean, with that, like, you know, cause you can so easily career switch, right? If you could do any job you want and um, maybe we'll save for the day, right? Just tomorrow you can pick any job you want. Uh, what would it be? Uh, probably like risk assessment at like some sketchy corporation. I want to see what happens in those rooms, like what kind of stuff they talk about. You don't want to. <laughs> I do. I really do. I want to see what it is. Like, like I want to be in a room when they're having the risk assessment meeting at like an oil company after a massive oil spill. I want to see what kinds of things they're talking about. You, Yeah, I... 
I can't even talk about what I can talk what I want to say right now, <laughs> but um, I work in a, a particular government industry, and um, yeah, <laughs> the things people say is wild. Uh, but to wrap things up, um, you know, with talking with you, which has been it's been a really great time. Like I've known you for a while, and I think I had a chance to get to know you a little bit more through these questions and being able to hear your responses, but for the audience as well, here's a really fun one. Um, you have $10 million and tax-free because we know that's the important part. <laughs> and you can spend that on whatever you want. Um, what would you do with that $10 million? Um, and if you would, like, would you use it for a startup? Would you make your own company? Uh... So I, I probably would do two things. So I, I've always wanted to like start this, this nonprofit project. I think I've, I've spoken to you about it quite a bit as well. I want to create this project where I can assist in locating missing people within a certain uh, period of time, finding like their last known location quickly so that uh, search parties can be optimized uh, by using like machine learning stuff uh, through like public footage and uh, face matching. I feel like if I can get that to work, that'd be like something useful. And then uh, I probably, I think I only, I did the math. I think I only need like 2.3 million uh, to retire for the rest of my life. So I'll take the 2.3 million and invest it in my stock portfolio and live off the interest. And I'd probably buy a small house in uh, Tuvalu, a small island nation out in the middle of nowhere and just go live there in silent peace. You brought up two great points. The first one being um, many people don't know how much it takes to retire because I just had a um, a talk with my friends at, friends at the bar the other day and they're like, yeah, you need like 50 million to retire. And it's like, you have to, you have to account for how much you want per year and do that math out. So I'm happy you know that math, but do you have any ethical concerns? So you mentioned a startup for about, um, finding missing people and the idea is that it would use facial recognition and public cameras to detect people. Um, what are your thoughts on like the ethics of that situation of like being able to record people's faces and taking their, uh, and the, in my industry, we call it a PII, personal identifiable information. Um, just give me some thoughts about that. Just kind of yeah. like how you think your idea bounces out with that risk. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've thought about this like extensively. All right. So, the way I would like handle this like ethically is by making sure that no one else can like abuse the code by keeping it like private. Uh, so that's the big thing. And uh, I, I think we talked about this already, but essentially like I would only do it if like the family is, is like willing to do it. So the family has to like reach out to the organization and be like, Hey, our child has been confirmed missing. Here's a police report. Here are all the known photos uh, we have of their face. Um, can you help us locate? These are some potential areas that they might be. And then if only if they do that, uh, will I assist? I won't like go out of my way to do it uh, if they, they don't ask for it. So at least um, at least then I, I have permission from the family at least. Uh, obviously the person is missing, so they won't be able to like give permission to use their face. That's a great response. And I think um, as you work through the details, uh, 
you know, this could be a really cool idea that will actually help a lot of people. And as a computer graphics programmer, you're really primed and ready to, if you wanted to go into computer vision and deep learning, you have the ideal background to branch into this subject matter. So with that, Whittington, it's been really great talking with you. Um, I know we're, we're at an hour, so we're almost out of time, but it's been a, a great pleasure hearing your thoughts, your ideas about like your work, your life, and your education. And um, maybe as a little closer, uh, what are your some of your future plans in the next two to three years? Uh, my goal, my big goal right now is I, I, I kind of have to make a decision about whether or not I want to actually like go back to school because I'm, I'm kind of just like, I, I think I've, I've spoken to you about this already, like extensively, but I've, I've decided that like, I just, I really hate programming. Just like the act of programming itself is just very monotonous. And yeah, being in a role where like programming is the majority of the work, I, uh, I'm not going to be very happy. So I think uh, given the way I function, I would probably be a lot happier if I, I did something more academia based. So I'm considering uh, getting my PhD in computational geometry so that I can specialize in computer vision. Yeah, and I think um, academia is definitely a good fit for someone like you. Not because that I think people have the misconception that it's about you being smart, but because being in academia means you have a a genuine interest in learning and improving yourself. And you definitely have all those qualities. Uh, So with that, Whittington, it's been great speaking with you. And thank you for talking with me. Okay. And for anyone listening... Ace is going to be featured in a future episode, uh, most likely the fourth episode, uh, where we'll be talking about uh, what Ace does as a data scientist. Yeah, catch that, guys. (laughs) All right. See you guys later.